0: episode of the big star show i'm ed cohen and we got another classic guest here today ota is giving us a lot to be excited about rookie ryan switzer looking like a steal linebacker jalen smith looking good and back to his old self lot to be excited for this coming season a lot of positive things unfortunately for us it wasn't all positive rising star David Irving guy we talked a lot about on this show showed true explosion and upside last season could be facing a four-game suspension however I want to focus on the positives we got our star quarterback and running back coming back a year more experienced to kick off their sophomore season even with the loss of Ronald Leary still got a star-studded offensive line obviously as we talked about in the last episode and everybody knows lost a lot on defense and our schedule this year is a lot tougher than last year as we got the afc east like i said a lot to look forward to i'm excited i'm predicting maybe not 12 wins this season but i'm predicting another nfc east title run anyway let's dive into this week's guest we got a guy who was a very productive member of the dallas cowboys 1980s teams. Joining us on this episode of the Big Star Show, we got a guy who wore a star on his helmet throughout the 80s. Not only was he an exceptional football player, but this man is also a true role model and an inspiration, and someone that the youth should really look up to. We got Timmy Newsom.
1: Tim, how are you? I'm doing fine, thank you, sir.
0: Well, Tim, we really appreciate you coming on the show. You know, as a big Cowboy fan, it's always great to talk to a player of your caliber, Tim. You grew up in North Carolina. Let's take it back to your early days. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what, what life was like growing up as a kid for you?
1: Well, I played a lot of different sports. Uh, most of what we did was outside. And I started out actually playing baseball, Little League baseball, in fact. And then I moved from there on to playing basketball and then football. Interestingly enough, I really didn't start playing football competitively until I was a junior in high school and I was a defensive back at that time, and uh, I was a tall, skinny kind of a guy, so I didn't really have that kind of full body to play the position of running back. My senior year, I did play some running back, but not a lot, and then, of course, uh, I got a scholarship to Winston-Salem State University, which was my only scholarship offer. Wow, now, now that's interesting, because obviously, you had a great uh,
0: career in football, but you, you didn't start playing until junior year. Wow, now, you you were big into baseball. I know I had I had read that, actually, that you were a big baseball player. What uh, position did you
1: play? Well, I played several. I uh, played third base, first base, and second. Never played the outfield, though. Wow. And what was it uh, that led
0: you to, uh, you know, pursue football instead of baseball?
1: Well, uh, as most small towns are in America, football was the main thing and focus of everything happening in a town. And, of course, uh, a lot more people watch football than baseball. And so that's what gave me the inspiration of playing football. Plus, my father was a huge football fan, and he loved football. He played it in college, and he always thought that uh, that's something that I should pursue. And he always told me if I ever had the opportunity to play college football, that I should not uh, squander that opportunity. And so I didn't. And so mainly because... Uh, my father is, is the reason I played football.
0: Well, now, I saw that your uh, your father was a self-employed farmer and uh, your mother was a teacher, so you were certainly no stranger to hard work
1: growing up. Not at all. Um, I remember days where I would stay on the farm all day long, and we would practice at 6.30 in the evening, and um, I wouldn't get home to 10 o'clock at night. And I had to do this all that all over again by getting up at 4 a.m. to work on the farm. So it really kept me grounded, and it kept me out of trouble. <laughs> well, anything to keep you out of trouble is uh, certainly a,
0: a positive.
1: That's exactly Tim, right.
0: See, so you, you go, you, you you play your college ball at uh, Winston-Salem State. Yeah, obviously, uh, you have a tremendous career there. You had a, a, a legendary coach in Bill Hayes. Can you tell me a little bit about your relationship and, you know, what he did for you as a coach and a mentor?
1: Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, when I got to Winston-Salem State University, I had every intention of playing on the defensive side of the football. And I remember very vividly, I was in the back of the room during an orientation, uh, one August in 1976, and he said, is Timmy Newsom in here? And I raised my hand. He said, well, I want to see you after the meeting's over. And so I go up and talk to him. I say, hey, Coach, what's up? He said, well, I'm going to put you at running back. And I said, Coach, I I don't want to play running back. He said, look, he said, I've got enough defensive players. He said, I need somebody who can run the football. He said, if you can run it, you'll play. If you can't, I can't use you. And it was just that harsh. And so I had to figure out how to play a position that I wasn't real comfortable with and really had not planned on playing that position in college. And so uh, keep in mind, I was like 6'2", 175 pounds. And when I graduated from Winston-Salem State University, I was 6'2", 240. So it took a lot for me to get bulked up and have that running back demeanor. And he's the inspiration for me being able to do that. Wow, well, well, he
0: certainly knew what he was doing, obviously, as you, uh, would, would go on to play pro ball. Now, you guys ran the Veer offense, huh? What was it like, uh, being, being a workhorse back in the Veer
1: offense? Well, you know, it was a, it was a fun offense because it was all about the quarterback deciding if he was going to, uh, keep it or pitch it. And it was a, you know, it was that kind of an offense. So, uh, we, sometimes I'd run the Veer off tackle. He'd give it to me and, I'm off and running. Uh, another time, I'm like the on that pitch route. He'd run down that line, look at that defensive end, and he'd decide either to keep it or pitch it. And it really taught me how to concentrate and focus on that ball once it left his hands. Even though I didn't catch a lot of passes in college, uh, him pitching me that football allowed me to be able to be a good receiver uh once I got to professional football so I love that offense and we didn't do a lot of blocking because everything was kind of uh real fast and we were faking one moment and then catching a the pitch the next so it was a fun offense to run all oh, right it
0: sounds like it was and Tim now you the teams you played on in college certainly had a lot of success what was it like um in that 77th season uh you guys had an undefeated regular season if I'm not mistaken but you chose to the team chose to bypass the d2 playoffs to play in the gold ball what was uh what was kind of the
1: the thought process behind that and how was that as a player? Well, we wanted to play South Carolina state uh at that time. South Carolina State was probably the premier historically black college football program in the country, and we were excited about having that opportunity to play them and uh, so that's the reason uh, we did what we did. And we lost a really close contest by the score of 10-7. And incidentally, a lot of players that were on that South Carolina State football team ended up getting drafted over the next three to four years. So it was something that we wanted to do and just to see exactly where we fit in the scheme of things uh, at that level of football. Wow.
0: Now, now, Tim, you'd go on later to become a CIAA Hall of Famer. um, Obviously, that was a tremendous uh, achievement and accomplishment. Let's talk a little bit about your your draft day. How did you spend your, your draft day? Obviously, you were a sixth round pick. What was it like, uh, you know, waiting, you know, throughout the draft process?
1: Well, it's interesting because in those days, um, I think ESPN was in its infancy, and so the draft really only took place that first round, and everything else had to be done by um, you know, uh, Associated Press or some other news outlet to determine where uh, a player was selected. And so I was projected to go anywhere from two to four. But what happened was on draft day, uh all of the teams started selecting defensive players. There were only two running backs that went in the first round. Billy Sims was taken first overall. And the number 17th pick went to San Francisco and that went to Earl Cooper, who played out of Rice. Earl and I played in the Blue-Grey All-Star Classic in Montgomery, Alabama. So once he was drafted, I felt pretty confident that I was going to be picked somewhere later uh, in the second, no later than the third. Well, because it was so heavily defensive-oriented in that first round, all of those offensive guys started slipping into the second and third round. So Kansas City had called me the night before, and and they said, well, if you're there in the fourth round, we're going to select you. Well, there was another running back out of Texas Tech by the name of James Uh He was still on the board. And so Kansas City ultimately picked him in the fourth round. And then, of course, I slid through the fifth, and then the Dallas Cowboys selected me late in the sixth round. And it was getting late in the evening, and I'm thinking I really need to go on the first day because that. In those days, it was the first six rounds, and then the next 7th, 8th, ninth, 10th, 11th, 12th was on the second day. So fortunately, Dallas selected me late in the uh, sixth round, and I was happy. And it didn't matter at that point that I went as late as I did. I just wanted to go on the first day. Absolutely. It's been
0: in, slipping down into the draft a little. It didn't you know, really give you a, a little bit of a chip on your shoulder?
1: It did, because I saw guys that, were going ahead of me that I felt like I was as good as. But as you know, sometimes things don't work out as planned, and sometimes teams draft based on need. And so uh, by the time my name was called by Dallas, uh, I thought, okay, they've got all of the running backs that they need. Why would they pick me? And so when I got here, I knew that someone was probably going to have to get released in order for me to make the team. And so we had uh, Robert Newhouse, Scott Laylaw, Larry Brunson, and then I was on the roster as a rookie, and they had just moved Ron Springs from fullback uh, from tailback to fullback uh, the year I got there. And they had projected Ryan to be the starter uh, along with uh, Tony Dorsett. So I was able to make the team, and I think they ended up cutting uh, Larry Brunson and Scott Laylaw. And so that's how I actually got, in the, got on the roster. Wow. That's, that's something.
0: Now, obviously, from your transition from defense to uh, a running back in college, I guess you were somewhat used to, uh, you know, changing positions. But what was it like, you know, getting drafted and having to move to
1: the fullback position? Well, it was an adjustment because I was not a blocker in the four years I played at Winston-Salem State because we were in the VR offense. So everything was pitch and fake, pitch and fake. And so, uh, it was a different mindset based on the type of pro set style offenses that uh, I had to learn. So it was a learning curve there. But, uh, Robert Newhouse, the late Robert Newhouse, uh, really put, uh, you know, put me under his wings and told me how to do a lot of the things that enabled him to play as long as he did. And uh I can't say enough about what he did for me. And he just said, hey, uh, my time is up, and I'm going to show you how to take my job. And he started laughing. And I thought he was joking. He said, no, come to my room. He said, I'm going to show you. And he did. And so eventually, um, you know, I moved into that second spot behind Ron Springs. And um Robert uh, ultimately retired. And so eventually, Ron Springs was dealt to Chapel Bay. And I moved into the starting lineup, and that's pretty much how it worked.
0: Wow. And, you know, it's amazing to hear that, you know, in your college days you were you were so skinny and light because, you know, as a pro, you had that rare combination of size, strength, speed, and agility. And, you know, it's funny that you you really didn't block or catch much in college, but in the pros, actually, you, you did a whole lot of blocking uh, and pass catching. Uh, what was it like, you know, completely, you know, changing your game as well as being the lead blocker for the great Tony Dorsett?
1: Well, Coach Landry called me into his office um at the end of my second year, and he said, look, you are not going to be the premier runner on this team. He said, Tony Dorsett is. And he said, there are two things I really want you to do for us. He said, I want you to block, and I want you to get me the tough yards on third down. And he said, the third thing I'm going to want you to do is is catch passes. He said, but those two primary things is what's going to keep you here. He said, now, if you can do that, you'll stay. He said, if you can't, then I'll find somebody who can. And so that kind of gave me an idea of what role I was going to play throughout my career in Dallas. And so um, once I understood that and once I heard it from him, then it was just a matter of me understanding the technical aspects of what was expected of me. And so it just uh, was a maturation of learning, understanding, and then want to. Uh, blocking is all about want to, so that's what I set out to do, and I did it pretty well. Now um, I struggled a little bit early on, and they moved me from fullback to tailback while Ron Springs was still on the roster. And so what I would do is I would uh, back up Tony Dorsett at tailback, and whenever he was tired or wanted to, you know, needed to come out of the game, I substituted for him. So I ended up being somewhat of a swing player going back and forth between tailback and fullback. And then when they released Ron and he went off to Tampa Bay, I moved into the starting role at fullback.
0: Wow, that's interesting stuff. Uh, Tim, what was your approach to studying opponents and defenses and um, how did you prepare for, for
1: games? Well, you know, that's, that's a really good question. Um, what we were taught, by Coach Landry is that you look at the middle of the field and then you look outward. He said you find the middle linebacker and you find the safety. He said generally those two people will tell you what kind of defense that's going to be run before play. And so when I would break the huddle, I would look for the safety and I would look for the middle linebacker. And then everything else kind of moved outward from there. And so um I could pretty much have a good idea of what the guy – was going to do who was guarding me. And so all I had to do was worry about uh, executing the assignments that I had and then making sure that I didn't get any quick escapes and the most dangerous player on any given play. And so it was just a matter of studying and then visualizing because in pro football, you only have four to five guys on a roster in those days, and so you can't practice every play. So it was about trying to visualize what a play was designed to accomplish so that when you actually executed it on Sunday, that you would be as instinctive as possible to execute it, right? And you know, I could imagine that, you know,
0: playing for you know such a legendary coach like uh, Tom Landry had to be just a just a tremendous benefit to to a successful career.
1: Oh, no question. Um, from 1980 until probably '86, he was at the top of his coaching game. Um, he understood defenses first of all. And then he understood the personnel that he had. And when Herschel Walker came in in 1986, we probably used him as well as any team he played for. And um, Coach Landry knew he was a good runner, but he wasn't a great runner for the pro style of, of, of the game. So he put him out wide, put him in a slot, play him at tailback, had him do different things that would maximize the speed that he had because he had tremendous speed And Coach Landry was good at plugging guys in certain positions so that they could be successful. And that's one of the things that allowed me to play as long as I did.
0: Right. Yeah. You certainly had a, uh, you know, successful career. What
1: was it that drove you to be so successful? Feel failure. Uh, I did not want to fail and I did not want to let myself down and I didn't want to let my teammates down. And so one of the things I decided to do was to have tremendous uh, off seasons to where I prepared myself for the regular season. And so I was a pretty strong football player for a guy that played a running back position. I used to bench press over 450 pounds and squat wow. and deadlift off the charts. And I did all of that to mentally prepare myself for the kind of collisions that I was going to have on the pro level. And so it worked.
0: Uh, absolutely and that that's tremendous. Uh four hundred and fifty pounds on the press. Jeez. What, what were some of your your greatest uh strengths and you know even some of your, your biggest flaws uh on the field?
1: Um I would have to say the greatest strength I had playing professional football was the variety. If on third down they needed somebody to get five yards, fifteen yards, or catch that ball twenty yards downfield, I had that kind of range. But on a short yardage situation, if they needed me to block in, in the middle and do an isolation block on a linebacker, I could do that as well. And then if uh Tony Dorsett was going to take a pitch out wide, I had the ability to cut the legs out from under a linebacker. So I prided myself on having that kind of skill set that could accomplish different things. And then um it wasn't out of the ordinary for me to play some tight end plays. Uh We used to have a formation called Jayhawk. And then I'd line up on the wing. And so uh they could substitute me in and out of tight end position, uh fullback position, and tailback position. And I loved it. And Coach Landry gave me that kind of range because he just felt like he could utilize those kind of skill sets, and it would keep the defenses off balance. And a lot of times if I came in on third down, for example, teams would double me because I was pretty good at making those clutch third down catches. Yeah, you—you you were a certainly do it all kind of guy. No doubt
0: about it. Uh, Tim, after your career, you know, you're watching the game. Were there any players that you saw over the years that you thought resembled your game?
1: Hmm. Not so much while I played. I think the per the closest person that resembled or the thing that uh, most people regarded me as looking almost like was probably Franco Harris. Um. Mm-hmm. I was compared to him a lot coming out of college, and so I kind of modeled a little bit of my style running-wise after him because he had those that kind of long-range, long-leg kind of look. And so he was the one player that a lot of people compared me to. Wow, that's a that's a pretty good
0: player to be compared to for sure. Um, oh yeah, now Tim. You were always kind of a business-minded guy. You were always into computers. Can you tell us a little bit about the company you started and what what was it that drove you to be a successful businessman
1: outside of the uh, football field? Well, it's interesting. Uh, When I got to Winston-Salem State University, I was going to major in health and physical education, and after practicing three times a day for three weeks, I didn't think I was going to last very long at football. And so I was sitting in the registrar's line and there was a guy in front of me and we started talking about majors. And so he said he was going to major in business administration and was going to minor in computer science. I said, hmm, that's kind of interesting. And so after being in that registration line for two and a half hours, I changed my major to what he was majoring in. And so that's kind of what started me on a track of uh, understanding computers. And we had about uh, 80 freshmen in those classes at that time and when i became a senior there were only 15 of us left and i was one of the 15 uh i just thought that it was going to be the wave of the future i had always been somewhat of a gadget kind of thinking guy and so uh, when i got to dallas uh, i wanted to work in the off season and gil Brandt, who was a player personnel director found me a job working for a company that wrote computer software to, for banks and so i did that for six or seven years and loved every minute of it in the off season and uh when I retired, I finished up a couple of contracts. So I did that for a little bit and then I just started my own business full time in 1991 and I've just been going and going ever since. That's interesting stuff. And, and you sure were right. I mean, look at
0: the, look at the world today. It's, you know, it's all about technology and computers and, you know, being a business minded individual. So you, you certainly, uh, you knew the direction of the
1: future for sure.
0: Tim, what are some of your hobbies, uh, now outside of, you know, uh, you
1: know, your work? Well, it's interesting you say that. Uh, I, uh, I run half marathons and marathons. Wow. And, uh, I ran the New York City marathon last year. I ran the LA marathon last year. I ran a Dallas half marathon just a few months ago. And I've got a couple coming up, um, this year as well and and then there's a marine corps marathon that I'm going to run in October of this year. So that occupies a lot of my time outside of uh working in computers. Wow, so you're
0: still keeping in tip-top shape, huh?
1: Oh yeah, I love it. I love it. I can't think of any other way to stay fit than to train for either a marathon or a half marathon. Wow.
0: Yeah, that that's impressive because, you know, marathons are certainly uh not something easy to prepare for. Uh, Tim, what about relationships with former teammates? Do you still maintain uh, some good relationships with past teammates? You know, what's
1: interesting is when there are different charitable organizations that will invite players, in fact, just about a couple months ago, there was an organization that uh, had a lot of former players. So I see a lot of the guys in functions like that. And official functions for the Cowboys, we have an alumni day in August. A few weeks later after that, there's a kickoff luncheon, so I get to see a lot of players. And I keep in touch with a lot of them here and there, especially when we are out and about doing those charitable organizations. And we are very involved in the community. And so I get an opportunity to see guys that I played with and see guys that uh, were part of the Jimmy Johnson, Jerry Jones era, and so it's just gratifying to fellowship with players that, uh, played a very special game.
0: Wow. Yeah. Cause, you know, we, we all know there's no camaraderie like, uh, your, your football teammates. So, you know, that's great. And it's also great that you're, you're able to, you know, give back and, and use your platform to help others. We, we recently had, uh, you know, your former teammates. We had Jim Jeffcoat and, uh, Everson Walls on. So, you know, it's great to hear that you guys are still able to see each other once in a while. You know, I, I got to ask you, being that you're such a computer-minded guy, do you, I like to ask some
1: uh, former players this. Do you play fantasy football at all? I do not. Yeah, I don't follow the players that closely to be good at it. What I think I am going to do beginning this year is try to play it a little bit because uh, there is an uh, organization that former players belong to called NFL Legends. And so if you play fantasy football, you can win some free Super Bowl tickets, and that's a real good way to uh, fellowship with guys online. And so I'm going to try to, for the first time, really get involved just to see how it is. But one of the things that fantasy football has brought to the forefront is the women who really know uh, current football players. And some of them know them better than I do. And so it's funny to – hear them talk about uh fantasy football in that way because they know so much about certain players.
0: Oh, absolutely. It's certainly uh fantasy football has been great for, you know, building popularity and getting people involved who, you know, maybe wouldn't have been so interested otherwise. And uh I got to ask you this. I'll 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 end it on this. What are your thoughts on on the current Dallas Cowboys
1: team going forward? Well, you know, it's I was very excited to see them play so well throughout the season, and I was disappointed the way they ended things. Uh, Mm -hmm. I attended the Green Bay uh, Cowboys game, and, you know, they just started out so slow, and they had a chance there at the end, but I think the layoff kind of hurt them in so many ways, and it's so tough to keep that edge. And so they had Mm -hmm. literally they played Detroit, uh the second to the last game and then they played Philadelphia and they rested most of their guys and then they had the bye week and then they're going in to play Green Bay. And so I just think all of that time off just kinda cost them a little. And you know of course Green Bay was just rolling and hot at the time and they played very well that Sunday and so they were able to hold on and win and Aaron Rodgers threw a heck of a made a heck of a throw to the receiver on third and fifteen or sixteen and so they were able to go on and win. This off season have been a little disappointed because they kind of emptied their defensive backfield. And so now it's going to be interesting to see who is going to step up, maybe through the draft, maybe through free agency, and can replace those guys that have been a staple on a defense that nobody thought a lot of going into the 2016 campaign. So uh, it's going to be an interesting year. But, you know, the nucleus of that uh, team is, of course – the quarterback and the running back. And if they have that good nucleus, uh, I think they'll be right there in the thick of things. But defense is going to certainly be something that is going to have to be monitored and looked at going forward.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, they certainly overachieved and – or should I say uh, exceeded, you know, most people's expectations. I also want to just ask you this real quick. Being a a great running back yourself and playing with guys like Tony Dorsett and Herschel Walker – how do you feel about this guy, Zeke? Does he have what it takes to uh, go down and be an all-time great, you know, like like some of these other
1: guys? If he can keep his off-the-field exploits in check, yes. But That's always that wild card. Right. And if he can, then he's going to be a very good player. And then, of course, staying healthy is always a part of that mix. Uh, but he's a tremendous running back. He has really good instincts. And I think um, just watching him, Watching his growth throughout the season is going to pay dividends for a football team that has a good nucleus of offensive talent in the skill position area. So uh, I expect great things of him, and I think, uh, you know, he definitely is, you know, can be in a Hall of Famer at at the end of the day if he can stay healthy. Absolutely. I I agree 100%.
0: Timmy, I can't thank you enough for taking some time out of your day and joining us on the show. It's been great talking to you. Thank you so much. Timmy Newsom, appreciate you coming on. Thank you for having me and enjoyed it. Absolutely. Look forward to talking to you again soon. Wow, what a great guy. That was Timmy Newsom, running back for the Dallas Cowboys through the 1980s. Always great to have him. Not only a member of the Dallas Cowboys football teams throughout history, but a great guy at that. Stay tuned for the next episode as we got another big-time star on The Big Star Show. I'm Ed Cohen.